Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing The Conjuring. So I'll ask about exorcisms, mediums, and ghosts. But first, a short word from our sponsor. The Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. Our first guest is a comedian, actress, and writer who has an album out called Help Me, Help Me. Welcome to the show, Inessa Frantowski. Hello! So excited to be here. Thank you for being here. Um, I, I feel like everybody has at least one unexplainable anecdote from their lives, so I have to ask you off the top if you've been you know, visited by a demonic spirit lately, let's say. I mean, listen, I have to say, uh, this was really tough for me because I do scare quite easily, uh, and I certainly do believe in ghosts. And yes, Ooh. I have claimed to have had experiences, um, especially oh. over, uh, I would say, COVID, where I was by myself a lot. Um, yeah, uh, the odd door slam, uh, anything, anything will really spook me. Um, it yeah. was there one that stuck out, you know, a uh, where you saw like a dead kid with a pale face who whispered something to you, or or I don't know, anything like that. Nothing quite like that, but I will share this. This was quite funny. I um, did have what many experts have described as just an audio malfunction um, on a, on a video that really spooked me. And when I called my mom, um, my mom was like. Uh, did you see a person or just a shadow? And I went, well, I, I, di I didn't really see anything. And she went, okay, don't talk to the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to the shadow? That was what does your mom know? Sincere advice. She just said, uh, yeah. So they, you know, um, I am Russian. So uh, I think they're, the culture is can be a little superstitious. And uh, mm. so my, uh, my mom definitely... Yeah, well, we got we got we got a few ghost stories in the family. Okay, cool. Well, hopefully by the end of the show we can we can plug her in. We can get her on the line <laughs> because I need to know about these ancient Russian uh, ghost stories. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Hook that up. Um, our our next guest hopefully will help us break down the validity of these of these stories. He is a writer and science communicator who has actually been on the show once before uh, to discuss another spooky movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas. So please welcome back to the pod, Julian Huguet. Hey, Ethan. Yeah, I guess we have a bit of a theme going on. I didn't realize. It's great to be back. That's our thing now, I guess. We're just going to create this pattern of spooky conversations. I can't tell you how much I really don't like scary movies. I'm worried about <laughs> what I've gotten myself into. Well, I thank you uh, both for sitting through uh, a frightening experience. I was also spooked by this. I, I'm actually in Miami visiting family, and so I sort of forcibly made my mom and sister and brother watch this movie with me and everybody was freaked out. So I kind of brought uh, demonic spirits into like six people's worlds uh, today. So I apologize to all of you and I, and I thank the two of you for getting through it. Um, Julian, do you have any, you know, first person real life spooky stories? Um supernatural experiences uh, no i i don't th i can't think of anything uh unexplainable stuff yeah uh i got married a year ago i'm still struggling to figure out how i convinced her to do that uh <laughs> but that's about it that's kind of the one thing 
<laughs> well, knowing you, I assume that you spent like a few months studying mind control or brainwashing or something. Yeah, it was a mix of hypnotism and brain parasites, and it worked. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, and there's no laws against it yet. So as far as I know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to get your guys' takes on the movie. Uh, Inessa, was this your first time watching The Conjuring? It was, and I did have to watch it in the morning with a cup of coffee because uh, I do get too spooked at night, as as we as I just told you. <laughs> so yeah. And uh, well, what did you think? Uh, because at least for me personally, when a scary movie is also a good movie, I'm fascinated by it. I'm like super impressed, and and this hit the bullseye for me. But but what did you think? I mean, absolutely. In terms of scary movies, uh, y- you got your uh, demonic possessions. You got your scary dolls. Um, and you got the most important thing based on a true story. Uh, so I did some deep diving after this uh, movie to, to research what I can. But you think, you know it's a hey, movie. Hey, that's my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you do the comedy, I do the googling. Uh, sorry, Julian, you are fired. <laughs> yeah, but you do the science googling. I do like the can a can a demon be in my body now? Googling. <laughs> Both important. So, did you find something in your uh, research, Anessa, that that you know sparked your interest? Um, well, I. I was trying to find the things that that people like who believe in this stuff like say are unexplainable and it's usually just that like well this person was speaking perfect latin <laughs> so it's like right that came up in the movie too yeah yeah like it's like well uh like what differentiates mental illness from uh well this is now going into the science what differentiates you know mental illness from what they classify as a demonic possession but besides being sort of spooked in the morning with coffee you did enjoy the film you would recommend it to people that maybe enjoy horror movies. I absolutely would. I thought it was well done. I really did. Okay, same here. Um, I think I had seen it like when it first came out, but I felt the same. I was, I was, again, I'm always going into a horror movie like, this is gonna suck. I'm an idiot for watching this, etc. <laughs> and I loved this movie when it came out. I was all about it. Uh, and rewatching it, I think just reiterated that for me. I was just really, I was like, wow, this really holds up. I love the cinematography. All the acting is great. I like how they disperse information throughout the movie. Um, but what about you, Julian? Was this your first time? This was actually my second time. Uh, I mentioned I don't like horror movies, and it's true. Uh, my wife, who I also mentioned, it all, it all ties together. Uh, my wife loves horror movies which is hilarious because she has terrible anxiety so like she'll want to put one on at, on at midnight and then f- like at 2 a.m she's like what was that like a shadow on the ceiling from a, exactly. a, a nightlight just absolutely freaks her out after watching the babadook another great one by the way love babadook fantastic movie uh but despite the fact that i don't like horror movies i actually really did like this one and i think my favorite thing about it was my feeling about this movie was it's a total sucker punch. Like the beginning of the movie has the, those, you know, the, the recordings of the girls with the Annabelle doll. And I remember the first time watching it, sitting there going, I don't think these actresses in the recording are particularly good. This really is kind of breaking it for me. And there's scenes, there's moments when they do like long cheesy zoom ins from like 
1970s-style cinematography, and I'm like, ah, yeah, it's kind of a joke. And then the movie gets terrifying, and it really it caught me so off guard, and I really enjoyed the way they did that. The, the first kind of big question I wanted to ask was about the true story because they say it at the beginning, they kind of show pictures at the end of the movie of the real Ed and Lorraine Warren and the real uh, Perron family. So do, do you know, Julian, about this, uh, this actual tale? Well, so based on a true story doesn't have like an official requirement to it, right? There's nothing in the, in the rule book that says like, it's gotta be 80% true, and you can say it's based on a true There's story. There's no FDA like that, right? approval so, process. For, exactly. Okay. Yes, right? So uh, that gives any movie that uses that a ton of leeway. So long as some elements are true, right? You can say, well, it's based on a true story. Uh, the Conjuring has plenty of elements that were true, that existed in reality, right? Obviously, we know that the Warrens were a real couple. Uh, they really did view their own profession as paranormal investigators. I don't want to say they were real paranormal investigators because that kind of implies like, oh, the paranormal's real. But uh, that's that was their their profession. Uh, they did come to this house uh, up in Rhode Island where this Perone family lived, and uh, the Perone family that some things were compressed. They they lived in this fourteen bedroom like kind of you know, barn house for. Uh, a decade from 1970 to 1980. And the Warrens came there multiple times and investigated and several people from the Perron family who, you know, are still alive to this day. The, the eldest daughter is in her 50s now. Uh, she maintains that, yeah, we totally saw some unexplainable phenomenon. We felt the presence of spirits. Uh, we conducted, you know, a seance. And my mother was speaking... Uh, in an incomprehensible language. Those are all elements uh, that the movie either does have or, you know, kind of molds shapes a little differently in some ways. Uh, but there's also plenty of stuff that, you know, just is fictional, <laughs> right? Like how I've, an actual, uh, you know, floating bedsheet that takes the shape of a person and then blows away. There's no pictures of that or anything just maybe recollections but it's not i haven't found anybody say that anywhere so yeah the the word based on it does a lot of heavy lifting yeah i i that, that was one it's funny you mentioned that specific moment because that was one of the moments where i was like i don't know if they are playing by their own rules right there because if, yeah you know what i mean like sometimes they're there sometimes they're not are they choosing to exist in a physical form and not like was that person just busted in that moment, and they were like, oh, they saw me, oh, I gotta move. Oh, no. Uh, I forgot to turn off the, the pass-through walls ability. Oh, no. Uh, hold on, the switch is around here, and I'm gone. Yeah, I mean, like, it was kind of a spooky moment, but I also thought exactly, like, what, how, are, is it just a switch? Do they decide to do this? How does the, is it when someone looks at them, that's an adult? What are the rules here? Uh, go ghost rules, you wouldn't understand them. They're too oh, alive. God damn it. All right. Uh, well, um, Let's, uh, I, I know we're just getting started, but I think when we come back, let's dive into the ghost rules because I think that's really important. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Okay, so we're back and we're talking ghost rules. So, <laughs> number one ghost rule, <laughs> I guess if you are below the age of like 10, you can see ghosts and they can like talk to you. And then above that, it's their choice. There's sometimes you can see them, sometimes you can't. They, they can turn on their switches. Yeah. Right. 
Children can definitely see ghosts. Uh, I shouldn't be saying this as the science representative on this show, should I? Like, some of these jokes are going to be taken seriously. I mean, I, I, mean, can, I can take this one uh, yeah, if you want. It. It, it, you are right. Children can see ghosts. I think uh, the ability to see ghosts is based on your want to see ghosts. And what I'm saying is I do not want to see ghosts. So if you're around yeah. and if there are any in this room right now, uh, just let's put that on record. I'm not the one. Uh, please do not appear to me. Don't put that on me. <laughs> you you joke about like it's based on your how much you want to see ghosts, but you're actually really hitting on like a, a scientific um, principle oh, that's really? really important. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, to this whole kind of what why people see uh, paranormal uh, phenomenon, or at least they think they do, and that's uh, confirmation bias. Uh, so the Warrens were a devout. Catholic family. And uh, I think Ed Warren's father, you know, he's a Connecticut state trooper who uh, went to mass every single day. And when Ed was five, he saw his his first uh, paranormal happening. And ever since then, you know, was obsessed with the paranormal. So if you're from a, a background or if you have beliefs that already support this idea that, you know, there's something, there's life after death, there's spirits, there's a soul, things like that you are more inclined to to explain phenomena through that lens. Confirmation bias is this, this uh, issue where when you are presented with a, a problem or a pattern or, or something, you don't try and look for explanations that disprove what you already believe. You find things that fit what you believe and just don't look any further than that. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a a really common reason why people who claim to see ghosts, spirits, what have you, you know, they tend to be uh, have spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs. You said, uh, was it your your mother, your grandmother who said, "Don't talk to the shadow," and and yeah. you're Russian. Absolutely. Uh, was she Russian Orthodox? Uh, yes. Ooh, I feel like you're kind of a medium right now, Julian. <laughs> I could I could play into that. Yeah. Well, I will say that when. Um, since I'm <laughs> not the best with technology, when I had recorded video of myself um, and heard like a weird audio noise, I immediately thought ghost and didn't think, oh, delay in the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so the that's world. confirmation bias. Go ghost first and yeah, absolutely. A spectrum later. Yeah, and so I, to deal with that, decided to call my friend who runs a ghost podcast and asked what I should do, and she said, do some dusting. (laughs) Yeah. You gotta, apparently, apparently, uh, 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 spirits are attracted to dust, so uh, give your house a good clean and open the windows, she said. So, you are just the segue machine, because the fact that you said, like, oh, they are attracted to dust is... Another common, you know, source of these sightings. For so there is a, a skeptic. He's pretty well known. His name's Stephen Novella. He is a, uh, I believe he's a neuroscientist. He's an associate professor at Yale, and forever he's been uh, writing skeptical articles about pretty much anything that comes up in pop culture or you know the news that's got oh UFOs or what have you. He's always got the opinion that it's probably a logical explanation. So he's from uh, Connecticut not too far away from the Warrens. And in the 90s, 
uh, when the Warrens were both still alive. Ed passed away in 2006 and Lorraine in 2019. But in the 90s, he went and visited them and, you know, asked to see some of their evidence. And they handed him a lot of photographs with bright, you know, white circles on them. And these are things that can be caused by the flash of a camera reflecting off of dust particles. Like, <gasps> it kind of fits really well. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was going to, sorry, but I, I was going to ask about the, like, photographic proof. Because there's tons of it, like, in the movie they're presenting stuff as if, like, oh, yeah, they have tons of, they have video proof. They have audio proof. They have photos that you can see a ghost in them. Like, there's just like... Yeah. The ghost is holding a newspaper with the day's date on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, we... I assume we don't have stuff like that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, like, because what you're saying seems way more plausible. That it's just like, oh, there's like weird circles and that's the closest we've got to you know, capturing ghosts. Yeah. I actually uh, visited the, the Warren's old website in the Wayback Machine uh, and went and looked at these, these photographs uh, that they have on their own website as evidence of supernatural sightings. And they're pretty much just bad pictures. They've got, <laughs> they've got blurry white. I got a bunch of evidence then. I know. I have tons in my phone, mostly of my face. But no, these, these have blurry white smudges and, uh, you know, those, those white dots, those white circles. And they all can be explained by things like, you know, the, the camera flash bouncing back and, and creating those bright lights. Or, or, you know, a cord from the camera dangling in front of the lens that wasn't noticed by the person looking through the viewfinder. So the flash makes that white streak as it bounces off the cord. Stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's part of the true story that they totally bent. Yeah, they then. massaged that a bit. Yeah, the the actual photographs the Warrens have is is just, you know blurry white smudges and what i think is really interesting a point that steven novella made was these photographs when they were taken it wasn't because somebody went oh my god a ghost and then snapped a photo they took a picture and then when it was developed they went wow that's crazy what's all right. this stuff must be spirits <laughs> okay so wait that brings up another big question i had watching this movie so the camera's they have they they place they first of all they go through this whole process where they like essentially booby trap the house but but not with actual traps with like recording devices because they're trying to get approval or permission from like the vatican to do an exorcism and so in order to do that they have to gather evidence slash proof which uh which ed warren says is really hard and i had a little bit of a chuckle at that moment because it's like <laughs> yeah that seems impossible the vatican needs proof of ghosts to come down they don't believe your word like how is this ever gonna work demonstrate um, so, the afterlife please yeah exactly show us show us pictures of ghosts and we'll come down from uh from italy it's like what are what the hell's going on here um but anyway so one of the things they set up uh and keep in mind this is in 1971 is a camera that's triggered by temperature drop because supposedly when a ghost is near or a spirit or a demonic as they call it uh I, I guess they came straight from antarctica or something and it gets really cold and so 
when the temperature drops, the camera's like it's triggered to take a picture. So did that exist at that time? Yeah, so thermal graphic cameras, I mean, they definitely exist today. Uh, they can you know, take a, a picture using infrared light. Uh, as for when these sensors that could actually detect changes in temperature and then trigger a camera, I didn't look into that. I couldn't tell you for sure, but I, I imagine it's not that difficult to just rig up a circuit that would trigger, you know, a camera shutter and, and go off. So, uh, yeah, I imagine the seventies absolutely could have had it. Uh, and why what? does it, do you know why it gets cold or like where that started? I mean, cause that's kind of a trope, right? Like I've seen that in a lot of horror movies. It is, it is. Um, there are, uh, a few different explanations for a lot of the uh, commonly reported uh, experiences. Ghost shit. Yes, is that ghost the scientific? Shit. That's, the, okay. that's the yeah, that's the quick and dirty way. Um, <laughs> and the theory that I've recently come across that left me gobsmacked because it, so much stuff fits so perfectly was carbon monoxide poisoning. Ooh. Yes. Whoa. So. Carbon monoxide, it's an odorless gas. It's just carbon and oxygen. It's uh, the byproduct of when, you know, things don't burn completely. You know, you've got a furnace that isn't well-maintained or uh, a, a stove, things like that, right? It's burning, but not all of that, that natural gas is burning completely. You get carbon monoxide. You can't smell it. Mm. You can't see it. It's odorless, tasteless. There was an old not working furnace in this film, in the cellar. So, so far, this is checking out. Right. So some of the symptoms of carbon monoxide uh, include uh, shortness of breath uh, and a feeling of dread and auditory hallucinations. Whoa. Yeah. A feeling of dread? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a symptom? <laughs> yeah. Of well, so carbon monoxide is, what it does is it binds to the hemoglobin in your blood that normally oxygen is supposed to go there and you know deliver oxygen to your brain so your brain gets starved of oxygen you have all these hallucinations and obviously trouble breathing and but you don't detect it because it's odorless tasteless and your your brain which is malfunctioning isn't good at noticing that it's malfunctioning so that's scary um, in and of I, itself actually, this already sounds like a horror yeah movie. yes what is so carbon monoxide also, poisoning sounds like a very mean ghost yes <laughs> it is that's the real life ghost we've uncovered it wow it was you all along <laughs> uh and then we pull the mask off and it was just jenkins trying to sell the amusement park <laughs> so carbon monoxide poisoning also fits really well with why a lot of older places tend to get the reputation for being haunted, right? They're, they're old, they're in disrepair, uh, the you know, pipes aren't well-maintained, the furnace isn't well-maintained. And so, so many aspects of carbon monoxide poisoning can explain a ton of these uh, commonly reported, you know, ghost shit tropes. <laughs> And, uh, but Julian, everybody yes. clearly said that there was an odor and it smelled like farts yep. or a dying animal. Yep. You know, maybe in their giant old ass farmhouse in Rhode <laughs> Island, there was a dying animal in the basement. <laughs> or their ghosts fart a lot. Mm. They have farting You've ghosts. You got me there. Yep. 
who knows what these ghosts are eating. I mean, it's probably <laughs> hard for a ghost to go to a grocery store, so they're probably eating, you know, trash and stuff, and that will lead to stinky farts. Yeah, and you never see that in movies, just ghosts <laughs> struggling to make dinner. Right. <laughs> and I love the point about these old houses in disrepair because it's so true. We don't think about how none of these ghost reportings, ghost sightings are from like a new modern apartment, you know, with marble countertops and like yes. really nice appliances. Like <laughs> that never happens. Yes. Or how states now have building codes where uh, it is mandatory to have a carbon monoxide detector in the the building or the apartment or whatever right that wasn't a thing 40 years ago wow what do you do you know why it's it's has such a religious connotation well again this circles back to the idea that we see things through the lens of our established beliefs usually right this confirmation bias problem the uh the warrens were like i said devout catholics and when Stephen Novello, the skeptic I mentioned earlier, went over and toured their their house and their uh, you know museum of occult objects and spoke with them, uh, he described them as uh, genuine in their belief. Right? He he didn't think that they were hucksters, that they were trying to make money off of you know uh, their paranormal investigation. Make no mistake that they actually did make a living off of it. They wrote books, they gave speeches, they you know gave tours of the museum. They have uh, like a membership set up where they would send out a newsletter and you would get discounts on uh, them coming and giving speeches. Whoa, the Warrens had a Patreon? Basically, but like a <laughs> proto-Patreon. So yeah, sure, they made a living off of it. There are plenty of unscrupulous people who uh, intentionally misrepresent things to make money from this sort of thing. But assuming, you know, the Warrens were genuine in their belief, uh, their starting point still seemed to be uh, the afterlife is real, the human soul is real and tangible, demons are real. With that as a basis, what logically flows from that? And that is, you know, these phenomenon are going to be explained by demons because demons must be real or you know hauntings souls must be real people must go somewhere after they die therefore uh ghosts must exist and must have an influence on things we see sometimes since then like let's say i don't even know since archaic times or since the 70s since the warrens do you think that there's been more people that believe do you think more in people in the scientific community have been converted into believers or is it is it the other way where we've we've only grown to disprove uh, these occurrences i i read that the prevalence of people who believe in paranormal supernatural that's actually been pretty steady uh i think right now as a, as a society we are trending more secular and religious beliefs uh, but in terms of people who believe in ghosts, it's pretty much around 40%. It's a pretty widespread and uh, I think, you know, societally acceptable belief for people to have, you know. And part of the, the thing is you can't disprove the existence of ghosts. Yeah, well, I was just going to say about like, uh, uh, there, it is a lot of different cultures have some kind of idea of spirit or some kind of uh, idea of spirit. So if you believe in any spirit, then maybe it could stand to reason that you could believe in a bad spirit, I suppose. But Julian, I wanted to ask you, what about this notion? Because this is what 
Uh, this is what I'm always yapping about. What about this notion of like energy can't be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. So what happens when we die to our energy? So uh, I love the question, but I think what's being fundamentally misunderstood is the nature of, uh, you know, the energy that we have, let's say, right? Like we, we're alive, right? We've got functioning organs and, and brains and you know, we walk and talk, and, and so, yeah, we're, we're energetic, and you can see that in us. But what you're seeing is uh, the product of chemicals reacting, releasing energy, you know? It, it, not to get too, like, oh, kindergarten, everything comes from the sun. But, yeah, we get energy from the sun that, you know, takes the form, that the plants use to grow and, you know, build cells, and then that's eaten by animals, and we eat animals and plants and we get that energy and we burn it. So when we die, uh, the chemical reactions, you know, that generate energy and run all of our organic systems cease to happen. But then that uh, energy that's stored in this organic material gets used by other organic material, right? Like we get eaten by worms and they break it down and they turn it into energy. So. Uh, it's not so much that like our soul is is like a 50 watt light bulb and there must be somewhere it goes. It's like our, our whole body is just uh, a big bio biological energy reservoir that's constantly in use. And when we die, something else gets to use it. Okay. Do you think, though, there are some scientists who believe in some kind of um, afterlife? Is there a is there a place? Uh, where they kind of like overlap philosophically, like whether it's like other dimensions, parallel universes, anything like that. When we come back, we're going to hear what actually happens to us after we die. (laughs) (laughs) Great. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. So we're back, and Julian, you were about to you were about to tell us uh, about the afterlife. Go ahead. Yes, uh, yes, I know everything. No, I I don't want to give that impression because, um, like Anessa was asking, right? Where where does these you know science and and religion? What's the common ground here? And um, to be honest in your approach to science, you have to acknowledge just when you don't know something. Uh, And it's okay to admit that, like, I don't know if there's an afterlife or... That is not okay to admit. Not on this show. (laughs) Not on this show, Julie. Never. Okay? We promised the listeners an answer to this. Admitting you don't know is the honest scientific approach, right? You haven't found any evidence that proves it. You can't disprove it because you can't prove a negative, right? I can't disprove the existence of of God or the afterlife or something like that, right? right? But what you can do is say, all right, I've got many potential explanations for my observations. I can test them and I can, you know, eliminate ones that don't work or I can uh, select the ones that are the simplest and the most likely. I think that's kind of where ultimately I stand in the sense of there's actually quite a few things I don't know. And uh, I'm comfortable 
uh, most times with the not knowing for sure about things. But I will say, uh, a lot of people uh, did say um, that there were no such thing as aliens. And turns out, apparently, they've been here uh, the whole time. Yeah, I would strongly, strongly disagree with anybody who said there's no such thing as aliens, because statistically, they basically have to exist. Yeah, right. Like mathematically, right? The question is, are there aliens with which we have come into contact? And that's a much more thorny question. Uh, Stephen Novella, like I said, the skeptic who anytime, you know, anything like UFOs pops up, he, he has something to say about it. And he's talking about the UFO news. And he is, is uh, saying it's probably just a bird. These <laughs> things are usually just like out of focus birds. Well, listen, I want to school you so hard, but we are talking about <laughs> ghosts. So unfortunately, we'll have to right. wait for like an Independence Day type uh, episode. But Has anybody done a ghost alien movie? Can we watch that next? A ghost alien movie? Yeah, like a, a ghost of an alien. Yeah, why don't they have ghosts and afterlife and, and, you know, unfinished business and stuff? That makes sense to me. Yeah. What's, Get on it, Hollywood. What's scarier than an alien? Friggin' ghost alien. Ghost alien. Yeah. That's terrifying. Absolutely. Terrifying. <laughs> um, this is a stupid one, but it's one for both of you. Have you ever played hide and clap? Edessa, uh, you want to take that? Um, well, I didn't play hide and clap, but I did play, I guess it's called Bloody Mary or something Ooh. where you're supposed to, uh, you know, say something in the mirror or whatever. Something's supposed to appear in the mirror. I did um, play that, and then my very religious uh, uh, babysitter, uh, without my parental consent, uh, did take me to church and pray for me for a bit <laughs> oh. after finding out I played that <laughs> How game. How kind so, of them. <laughs> so we are revealing a lot of backstory about me and maybe why I'm spooked all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, spooked and ballsy. Like, that takes some courage yeah. to play. I, don't, I think I've never played it because I was too scared. Um, well, yeah, just uh, just a, a light exorcism performed on me without <laughs> without my consent. Um, <laughs> Diet exorcism. Uh, but yeah, I was always I would I am very I am a little bit nervous about that stuff. I definitely have throughout my life played like the classic teenage games that people play. Um, but you know, I am I am still a little scared. I have to admit. Yeah, definitely. I just had never heard of Hide and Clap, and I think, first of all, it's a terribly stupid game to play in a house that has stairs uh, or, you <laughs> yeah. know, valuables because you're walking around blindfolded. That's a stupid idea. But, uh, but yeah, Julian, have you ever heard of this game slash played this game? I, I just want to say it, it's a stupid idea. Uh, we were talking about like when cameras that could go off were invented, if they were invented in the 70s, and I don't know. But I know that safety was not invented until the 1980s. <laughs> so that No one thought about it. <laughs> when all your, you know, your parents and grandparents were like, we didn't have helmets and when we rode our bicycles, and we were fine. And it's like, yeah, you were, but what about all your friends that died, you know? Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sur survivorship bias, but uh, a lot of biases. Uh, I have never played hide and clap. I think uh, Bloody Mary is probably the more widespread uh, do something spooky in the dark and then you know, freak out about it for the next day or two and hope you're not possessed or haunted. Mm -hmm. And yeah, totally did that as a kid. Uh, loved it. Mary's very friendly. Turns oh. out 
Yeah. Turns Very out she's blood. cool. She's great. Very, a lot of blood. She's one of my best friends. Yeah, a lot of blood, but she's actually pretty chill. Everybody's got blood. Yeah. You know? But she's a yeah. big video game freak, and she's actually just, like, really quirky and funny and cool. Oh, I was going to say, if you're meeting someone um, for the first time, you generally shouldn't cover yourself in blood. It's right. just not Hot. usually the best first impression. Yeah. Great social tips. Yeah, Bloody Mary <laughs> I had like really just uh, uh, irresponsible parents that just taught her wrong. I've got to write wrong. that down. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's, also, it's been a year in quarantine. I don't know how to act anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I just, oh, no, uh, too much blood? Too much blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you walk into a job interview? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a go-getter. This was the guy who went before me. <laughs> Um, okay, I, I, I have a I have so many more questions, but I, I'm not sure how much time we have. But um, I, I mean, one of them that I was I was confused about was they they were talking about how these spirits feed on fear. So is is that legit? Like, do we set off pheromones or something when when we're afraid? Is that something that can be measured? Well, there's the uh, fight or flight response is probably very well known, right? And that's when uh, your body's sympathetic nervous system releases uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine, and it causes a host of different uh, reactions in your body. You know, uh, your your blood vessels expand, your pupils dilate, right? Your heart starts beating faster. And the reason this evolutionary ex- response exists is just to basically kick your body into overdrive. So whatever you need to do, run away, punch a bear, whatever it may be, your body's going all or nothing because it doesn't matter if you're dead, right? All that food and calories you're saving, it's, it's, it's gone. You can't take it with mm-hmm. you. It's, it's worm Survival food. mode. Exactly. So uh, I think that we may be discounting just how well uh, other animals and ourselves are adapted to picking up on these uh, body language cues, like your hair standing on end and your pupils dilating and things like that. So it may not be so much a, uh, oh, I smell fear or I have some other sense that, uh, that lets me detect fear in some way, but it may just be, hey, I, I know when these weird hairless apes, you know, their hair stands up and their eyes get all big, that we might be about to have a fight. So I'm ready to fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that triggers like the same thing in them. They they see it or sense it in us and they're like, oh, okay, me too. So uh, absolutely. I, I, I've got a bearded dragon in the house and he tries to fight himself in the mirror all the time. <laughs> and it's a positive feedback loop. He sees himself in the mirror and he goes, what's that bearded dragon over there doing? And he's like, oh, puff up. And he puffs up at it and then he goes, hey, that bearded dragon's puffing up at me. And he runs at it and his, his beard turns all black and he tries to fight his reflection. Whoa. You know, it's just what he sees and, he, and he's <laughs> reacting to himself. Yeah. So okay. yeah, animals absolutely do that all the time. They take cues from other animals and respond instinctually. As for paranormal uh, entities latching onto this fear, I think the more likely explanation is just if you're afraid of something and you have that fight or flight response, you're on high alert. Uh, you are going to be suspicious of everything, you know, bushes rustling, sounds, whatever, right? They're all going to be amplified. Uh, you're going to be in a mode where you just want to make quick decisions, react quickly so you can survive. So it's not so much that something's latched onto you, but 
in your afraid and amplified state, you are going to think that there's more threats around you. Right. Is there, do you have advice if you're in that state? Like, you know, for, let's say people listening at home, if they are away from, you know, their loved ones or if they're sleeping in a, in a weird motel that they're not used to and they're in that zone of like, okay, high alert, every noise is freaking me out. How do I calm myself down? I, I think that knowledge that that's how your body is reacting to things. You know, it's it, you, you can become aware that uh, your body's kicking into overdrive and just know that it's uh, a natural response that you can't help. I think knowing that might be soothing. Down. Yeah, okay. but um, as for like... What are you going to do? I don't know, man. Maybe you need to fight some. Maybe it's not a bad thing. I'm ready <laughs> well, to go. I mean, I, I have some tips, I think, um, if you go. are feeling like you're, if you're talking about, like, if you're scared in your room, let's say, of a ghost and you worry that you're giving off that, that fight or flight response, is that what we're talking about here? Yep. That yep, you're, yep. you're giving off fear? Okay. Well, uh, here are some things you can do. As I said before, I do recommend dusting. Um, might as well, might as well tidy up, um, get yourself proactive to distract yourself. If, um, uh, a couple of people also told me like some, a lot of shaman and stuff wear black. Cause apparently if you wear black, um, the ghost can't see you. So just put on a little, uh, maid's outfit, do some dusting, get rid of those extra skin cells. And then, uh, uh, you know what? Open some windows, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, ask them to kindly leave. Uh, and, and by the end of that, you have a clean house. You already feel better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You the, feel productive. Three Fs. Fight, flight, feather dusting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well done. Remember the three Fs, people. Um, three Fs. I, I think also, like, uh, what you were, you were talking about with your, with your wife, Julian, is huge. Like, especially, I mean, for me, if I watch something like The Conjuring and then I go to sleep there's a way higher chance that I'm going to be freaked out over God knows what. But if I'm watching like a comedy show, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think my brain is a lot more at ease or I'm thinking about the jokes or something. Or if I'm watching like Planet Earth, you, I don't know. You get into a state of relaxation that is like way more helpful to, uh, to fall asleep to. Yeah, Carl Sagan talked about this idea that like we used to be uh, you know, much more a part of our ecosystem and the food web with like predators lurking behind bushes, you know, but now that we've got these cities built up or fences or, or what have you and, and doors, doors are important. Uh, we don't have to worry so much about uh, these threats in our day to day. And so we instead, st we still have that instinct to look for them. And so we tend to uh, imagine them sometimes. And wow. definitely if you're primed to be look on the lookout for threats after watching a scary movie, you're just going to see scary things more often. You're just going to be ready to fight flight or feather dust. Yeah. Yeah. So stop freaking yourselves out, guys. Okay. <laughs> if you, you want to watch something scary, just do it in the morning with some eggs and, <laughs> and then move on and then do something else. <laughs> Um, okay, well, listen, we are out of time, but I, I thank you both so much again for putting yourselves through this terrifying experience. I'm sure we can do a bunch of these because as I've learned, there's like 4,500 Conjuring Universe movies, which I have not seen. Yeah, one came out today as we yes. record this. I did not realize that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the devil, devil made, made me, me do, do it. it. 
Right, yes. I guess I have to watch them all in order and then watch this new one. I don't know. But yeah, thank you both for, for joining me. I, I had a ton of fun. Inessa, where can people uh, find you, listen to your album, something you want to tell people about? Oh, yes. Thank you. So my album, Help Me, Help Me, is on uh, you know iTunes and Spotify. I'm also Inessa, I-N-E-S-S-A comedy on all social media. And I'm on a show called The Amazing Gale Pile on Amazon Prime. Fantastic. I actually cannot wait to watch this show. I had not heard about it until I did some very basic research <laughs> on you, but it's an award-winning show and oh. I saw the a trailer and it looks absolutely fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it's very silly. <laughs> oh, that is right up my alley. I can't wait to watch. Um, and, uh, and Julian, same to you. Where can people check you out, man? Well, I have been a host on Seeker for uh, about seven years now. I'm still making, I, I write and host uh, episodes of their Elements show. So if you head to uh, the old YouTube machine and type in Seeker, uh, every now and then you'll see a thumbnail with my face on it. And you click that and there I am. Fantastic. Well, that's a great show, uh, Elements. And, uh, and yeah, Julian, as always, I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we speak soon about some other sort of uh, spooky film experience yay more horror yay <laughs> <laughs> sorry dude <laughs> i'm giving you a chance to bond with your wife okay appreciate it <laughs> no <laughs> no seriously thank you both and uh and i'll talk to you next time bad science is a seeker podcast produced by emily feld and me ethan edinburgh the executive producer is brett kushner and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.